This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636 with Ernie Eves, Dan Moulton, and John Turley Ewart. So, Ernie, you were the one who brought up uh, political courage in another occasion, I guess, with Bill 21 uh, in Quebec. And uh, this is that highly discriminatory law against uh, religious accoutrements in the public sector. And nobody wants to step out and really call it for what it is. But here's another example. We've got, well, the NBA right now. And... uh, the Chinese have taken umbrage with something that was tweeted out by the manager of the Houston Rockets uh, since deleted or quickly deleted, uh, and everybody's scrambling with their pretzel logic to try to ameliorate the situation. But the truth of the matter is, we know what the Chinese government represents. Uh, need I remind you, we've got our own two hostages there, two million Uyghurs in prison in the northwest part of this. They're shutting down a pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong, uh, you know, Dial it back to Tiananmen Square if you want, and so on and so forth. The the litany is a long one. But here's the key. Uh, The NBA, you know, you've got a lot of people who will say, I'm not going to the White House. Donald Trump's in the White House. So when they win the championship, they stay away because they're taking a stand, you know, or, uh, you know, even taking a knee and all the rest. Uh, This would take real moral courage, though, to turn your back on a market that has you in thrall, you know, shoe contracts for some of these superstars in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, basically, they have the economic clout to dictate the terms of engagement, and they are. And so uh, what do you do if you're the NBA or anybody dealing a corporation? Google has changed how they operate. They've gerrymandered the rules for the Chinese. What would you do? Well, it's, uh, excuse me, it's what's more important to you, you know, your principles and what you believe in or money. It's just that simple. I mean, we as a country, Canada does it, the United States does it, gazillion countries do it. They trade with the Chinese for economic benefit. They really don't. Principles be damned. Yeah, we don't really stand for that, but can we do some more trade with you? I mean, nobody has the courage to stand up and be counted. Is it that simple, John? Uh, or is there something here, you know, where uh, if there's an economic interest? Look, we've had sort of this discussion with the LAV contract, the $15 billion the LAVs are made, uh, light-armored vehicles for the Saudis in right. London, Ontario. I mean, uh, neither government, the Harper government, nor the Trudeau government, they talk about looking into it, but uh, nothing changes. But what do we do with mainland China, who's really asserting itself now in its ascendancy? Uh, how is it a sort of a watershed moment uh, culturally, well, historically? I think, uh, no, it certainly is a, a watershed moment. I think that the promises in the past where folks said, you know, through economic liberalization, you will have a, a, a China that respects human rights uh, and be brought into the broader uh, Western world, if you can put it that way, in terms of their, their understanding of uh, human rights and, and so forth. That's not true. Not, it's not going to happen. That was a fantasy. So the question really right now is... Uh, you know, for countries like the U.S. and Canada, is how much are you willing to compromise? And for the NBA, which is really quite disgraceful because it's, you know, it's, it's a sports, uh, you know, outfit uh, that really, as you said, has taken stands on various political issues in the past without any problem. But apparently you throw some cash on the table and all, all of a sudden their principles are out the window. It just, it just, it just makes them look grubby. And so I think the real question is, what does America stand for? What does the NBA stand for? What does Canada, the U.S. stand for? And, and importantly, in terms of our industrial base, how much of that do we want to pull back? I mean, that's really the question that, that uh, Trump is raising going after this trade war, is how much of that um, investment that America and to some extent Canadians have made in China do we want, do we want to reshore, bring back to uh, North America, 
or take to other countries where they're more likely to respect human rights. And, and you know, one of the, 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 the great challenges that I think a lot of corporations had is that going to China, you know, 20 years ago was so tempting because you could make so much money. Labor there was so cheap. Uh, and now that labor isn't so cheap. But the thing is, is that they can produce so much and they have, you know, the, the, the materials and, and the know-how uh, to, to build, you know, little gadgets and make them cost next to nothing that it really means as in a society, you have to be willing to pay an awful lot more. All right. Yeah, well, the morality of it, though, let me dial it back to that, because you saw 30-plus years ago there was a anti-apartheid uh, movement that really uh, was global in nature, mm-hmm. and it changed how South Africa was governed, and uh, there were people like little Stevie uh, Van Zandt wasn't going to play Sun City, and, you know, the BDS movement worked uh, very effectively there. Does it make sense to apply it against communist China, Dan? Well, and, you know, there's even more recent examples of, you know, san- certainly sanctions in Iran and, and, and Russia, uh, for example. The difference, of course, with South Africa and those countries and China is that the importance of China's economy to ours is is, is so much different, right? And and John's right. Uh, like the, the reliance that we as consumers in particular have on trade with China is incredibly threatening to our cost of living and our and, and the, the expected price that that we want to pay for the things that we enjoy in our lives these you know modern technologies and whatnot so I, I think that's what makes it really complicated for governments who I actually would say the responsibility is on here more than you know even private corporations and certainly professional athletes um, the responsibility lies with governments I think to to put pressure on but even in those situations, even in those cases, you know, economic sanctions come into place. You're hurting people here. You're hurting people there. And nobody there is going to hear about your opposition to uh, to China because they control the domestic media market. They control the Internet. So there's not going to be some groundswell of support uh, in mainland China to defeat the government because, you know, Western leaders are saying it's a bad thing to do. So to I'm going to disagree China. with you there. So here's the thing. There's 300 million people that live in poverty in China. The Chinese government has to keep people working. They have to keep the growth rate up. What they're most concerned about is unemployment rises, their credit situation crashes, their housing market goes down, and all of a sudden they got people in the streets milling about with no jobs, no work, and they're asking, what did our government do? So that's the impact. That's really what you're doing is you're creating domestic turmoil. That's what you're trying to do is create domestic turmoil in China so that the Chinese people themselves put pressure on uh, the communist government to change. And how many that's te- but doing. how many tens of millions of people starve to death because of those sanctions, right? Like, that's, that's, the, that's the moral question that, that, that comes in when we talk about economic uh, sanction yeah, against well, other countries well, no, no, is no, that no, you're actually the, the, this not hurting North, the leaders, this, this you're hurting the individuals. This is too. in North Korea, right? So the, the Chinese have a choice to make. You know, they can build tanks or they can feed their people. What do they want to do, right? You know, so, so you know, this is not on us in terms of the, the economic impact it has on them. It is what choices does that government want to make? Do they want to feed their people uh, or do they want to build up their military and keep doing the stuff that they're doing at, uh, at the expense of their folks? Well, here was my uh, other question. If this is, in fact, historically a watershed moment. Look, if history tells us anything, sometimes if you step into the breach too late or not at all, there are consequences to pay and you want to be on the right side of history. I would say that there's hardly anyone in the Western world that objects to taking on China, and I'll tell you why. Because the IP, the intellectual property issue here, has been building and building and building. You wanted to open a company in China, 51% of that firm had to be owned by the Chinese, and they strip out your IP, and they have no IP laws. 
So that's got to end, especially as as our economy grows more and more towards, you know, software development and, and technology development. IP is the gold of the modern world. You cannot work with a country that steals your gold. Well, uh, what about the other, uh, I guess, the specter that they own so much of North America's debt? Well, you know, good luck getting your interest payments because they need that to keep things going. I mean, that's the problem with being being a, a you know a, a creditor. <laughs> yeah. It only works out if you get paid. <laughs> and if you don't get paid, it's problematic. We, we look, there's there's a historical example for this as well. The Nazis did it. You know, 1930s Germany and you know, they had you know tremendous financial power by the, by the late 30s and they used it to spread their influence in France and in Europe and in different parts of the world in order to try and get their way. So we've seen it before. I'm not saying that the communist Chinese are Nazis, but what I'm saying is is that you've had regimes in the past use their economic influence to dampen down any kind of opposition. Were you reluctant to use Nazis because you didn't want to hurt their feelings? Uh, no, I... I, I, I <laughs> How about fascists, totalitarians? No, well, totalitarians, certainly, yeah. I, w- I would certainly say that there's a difference between systematic genocide oh, right. committed by the Nazis well, 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 and, wait a and what minute. you're seeing. But that's one of the reasons that people take umbrage with what the Chinese are doing. The Uyghurs up there, uh, you know, the forgotten minority who are incarcerated. I in absolutely agree that that's horrendous, but I don't know yet. I haven't seen the evidence to suggest that that's a systematic gen- genocide where you have people being thrown into gas chambers, for example, and, and, and murdered by the millions. John, going back to what you said at the start, though, I think that moments like what's happening right now in Hong Kong, right? Chinese uh, adventurism in the South China Sea, different actions like that are where we really, as Western nations, have to put our foot down and say, this is where, the, this is has to be where it stops, right? Like, this has to be uh, on the right side of history for us, where we take a stand, right? And I think Hong Kong is an excellent example of that, where Western leaders just simply aren't doing enough to stand by Hong Kong and, and the people there and be clear that Chinese uh, interference there in the way that certainly is being entertained by the, the governor uh, will not be tolerated. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.